Oh, Caligula! Yes, what is it? Don't lean against that pillar! What? I say, don't lean against that pillar! Why? The workmen say it hasn't quite set up yet. Don't lean against what? That pillar you're standing next to! You mean this one? Yes, that one! I shall lean against it! If I so wish... Caligula, no! Don't lean against me! The Fall of the Roman Empire will not be presented at this time in order to bring you the following special podcast. It's almost live. Still alive. It's alive! A limited podcast series about Northwest Television's legendary TV sketch comedy show. An amazing phenomenon. Featuring intimate conversations with the writers, performers, creators. Rustlers, cutthroats, murderers, bounty hunters, desperados, bushwhackers, hornswagglers, horse thieves, bulldogs, train robbers, bank robbers, ass kickers, shit kickers, and messages. Your host was one of them. I think I would remember a thing like that. Pat Cashman. What's the matter with you? Almost live. This is just a real nice surprise. Still alive. Just a real nice surprise. In the earliest days of the show, Almost Live was heavily driven by a male viewpoint. Oh, sure, a few actresses were introduced in those first years, Andy Stein and Lynn McManus among them. But the show's first more regular female member got aboard largely because she happened to be the girlfriend of one of the show's regular cast members, Joe Guppy. We'll spend some time with him in a future podcast. But this one is about Nancy Guppy. And whether she came in the back door, or the front window, or the skylight, once she arrived at Almost Live, the show was never the same. Nancy Harris grew up in Magnolia. She went to the UW, and then after meeting and marrying Joe Guppy, the two performed and wrote for Almost Live for a couple of years, before deciding in 1989 to move on to the bigger stages of Los Angeles. In 1992, they came back home, where Nancy eventually picked up again on Almost Live, but this time without Joe, and this time as not the only female on the show. She stayed with Almost Live for the remaining seven years of its run. Since then, Nancy's been hanging out at the Seattle Channel, which is a channel in Seattle. She hosts a weekly culture show called Art Zone, which is like the old Twilight Zone without the black and white and the twist endings. Today, she and Joe live in a tasteful condo as quintessential Seattleites. They drive a hybrid, they eat organic, they work out, they recycle. The always busy, on-the-go Nancy happened to be at home the other day when I took the opportunity to chat with her about those increasingly distant days of Almost Live. Yes, it is finally someone from the distaff side, Nancy Guppy, formerly Nancy Harris. Yes. And... Uh, I, and you never went and hyphenated your name. At least I didn't think you did. No. In fact, when I first started out in the um, the world of entertainment, um, I didn't take, I was married to Joe, but I didn't take his name right away because I didn't want to be known as Joe Guppy's wife. 
Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I professionally, I did it legally. We got married. I was Nancy Guppy, but um, I at that point I didn't have any, um, you know, I didn't have any experience. I wasn't known in any way, and I felt like I'm going to be um, known as his wife. So I was Nancy Harris for a spell, and as soon as I found my footing and you know, uh, kind of made a bit of a reputation, then I realized Guppy is like a billion times better name. So I. It's a great I mean, name. It's yeah. it's a name yeah. people will remember, so mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you, Joe, uh, I, I talked to Joe uh, uh, also in this little project I'm doing here, mm-hmm. and uh, what I, what I'm always curious about is how people meet, and then the unlikelihood of you both being comedic, mm-hmm. or is that what attracted you to each other? Well, I think starting with the the kind of how we met the attraction. I first saw Joe on stage. He was with this group off the wall players. Right. And they, right. And they, so they did kind of a lot um, original theatrical sketch stuff. And then they also did improv. Saya! No! <laughs> so I saw him for the first time, didn't know him. And the group blew me away. They were so funny. First time I'd ever seen improv and it was brilliant. Some of the most brilliant improv still to this day. And Joe really stood out to me, not as the best of the group, but he just had this wonderful, dry mm-hmm. uh, sense of humor in, in, um, yeah. in presentation. This is a story that could come to you from any city in America. But tonight, it begins here in front of the King County Courthouse because I really like the robust alliteration of the words King County Courthouse. So I knew of him. And then when I met him at his workplace, which was Cornish College of the Arts in the admin building, I went there to find somebody. I love Cornish. You know, (laughs) did you know that their athletic team is called the uh, Game Hands? (laughs) Yeah. They're how are they pretty good? How are they rated? Are they like They're not good. They're not oh, good. They're, not no. that good. they're okay. small. They're too small. <laughs> they make weird sounds. <laughs> yeah. Um so, so, so I, did you I, so did you say did you say God, I want I'm going to I would like to date this guy or how did well, that go? Well, when so I went to to this building and I was looking for somebody else. There's Joe and I'm saying I'm looking for this person. By the way, I've seen you on stage. You're really funny. That's what I told him and then he you know, of course, who wouldn't like that? So he So he said, me, Will you marry me? <laughs> exactly. And then we went to the Justice of Peace right then. Wow. Um so he uh whirlwind. He, he told me like um the person you're looking for isn't working here anymore, but what I'll give you their phone number. Oh, and by the way, why don't you give me yours just in case? <laughs> ah, nice move. <laughs> Wasn't that good? And he That's called really me the good. next day and we started going out. And um I think uh one of Joe and Mai's greatest strengths always has been and to this day is we really connect communically. We connect on a creative um, way that I don't with pretty much anyone else. I mean, I have a lot of great connections creatively with other people, certainly almost live people, but Joe and I are on the same page totally. And so that was a, that's been a glue from the very, uh, very beginning. You weren't participating in off the wall players. You weren't doing improv. You were working, I think in the, at Nordstrom, right? At, yes. the, at the time yes. that was your that was your job and that was my job and, did you, and I, what did you aspire to from that oh god pat i had no ass i mean i was a i'm the latest bloomer in the universe and i didn't know what i wanted to do after i got out of college i got out of the uw in 82 with mm-hmm. a speech communications degree really had no 
um, you know, I didn't know where to point my ship in any way. And so I was working at Nordstrom in the credit co corporate side. I've been doing that in Christmas. That sounds exciting. That it was really fun. fun. Yeah. And what I recognized, Pat, was A, I could do the work there. But A, first of all, they were never going to promote me uh, in management. I just didn't have the management, uh, the skill set for management. I could do the work, right? But yeah. I also hated the, I hated it. I didn't like it. I, it was, I, I felt depressed. I was, um, I didn't have any, like I said, direction. So I started taking an acting class in 84 at Seattle Central Community College just to do something different. I didn't have any aspirations on where that might lead. And that was the pivotal point for me of kind of recognizing performance, recognizing um, uh, that I had this creative, more artistic side. Around that time, that's when I met Joe. So Joe was getting involved with Almost Live. So huh. that's how that all happened. So you're like two years out of college, and that's when you discover that you're funny, that you can do this? I, I would think you would, might yeah, have uh, I think, I think doing that at grade school. Yeah, I, I think that in junior high, I have a, a distinct memory uh, probably eighth grade, there was a talent show every year. And I was part of one, t one year, I was part of the thing called, it was called the script committee. The small group of us, eight or nine of us who wrote these little short sketches that we would do in front of the audience between the bigger acts. So some band would play curtains close outcome, a few of us to do a sketch, two minute, three minute bit, right? Then that we get off the stage, the curtains open, and then there's a dance thing or whatever. And this was oh, in high school? This was in junior high. Oh, in junior high. Okay. And I remember this one bit, and I don't recall the content of it exactly, but I remember saying whatever line I had, and, I, and, the, and there was a very big laugh from the audience, and I, I noticed it. You know, in the moment, I was just like, it wasn't like, oh, I now want to be a comedian, or this is my path in life. It was just like it registered with me, and clearly it did because I'm telling you about it. It felt good. It felt good and like oh there's a power I and mean, i couldn't even i can't describe exactly what this mindset was at that time but it, it it lodged within me and i never followed that up with theater in in high school or, or anything like that but hmm. i would say i was always a smart mouth um i think i have always been funny in a in a way uh, the way of seeing things i kind of um i don't like authority so i would do a lot of kind of um, right you know, kind yeah. of funny as authority in a way and comedically, I guess. So it was just, I think my personality is kind of goofy. That's really the best way I can put it. And, um, but I never said, oh, I'm going to be a sketch person or I'm going to wow. never, 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 never. You um, might be the, the most unlikely uh, trajectory of anybody I've talked to uh, yeah. uh, on Almost Live to have, to have discovered what you really want to be that late. Uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah, and to that point, I I think it, it was such an organic process. The only thing that I did, I always say, I had this much talent, and I'm holding my fingers apart right now, Pat, because you can't see it. About a quarter an inch. Oh, I can see it. I had that much talent, a lot of luck, and then I took the next indicated step when it when it came my way. You know what I mean? So I I did that acting class at CL Central. I met Joe. And he's getting involved with Almost Live. So I would do bits and Almost Live, not as a cast member, but on occasion. I just kept taking the next open, walking through the next open door. So all of that together um, led to where I, you know, kind of to a career. Um, and it was the most organic thing. There was nothing planned about it at all. 
you uh, tell tell me a little bit. I'm, I'm I always get ahead of myself here, but uh, tell me where you where you grew up, where you went to grade school, where you went to junior high that you mentioned in, in high school. We mm -hmm. know you finished up at the UW. Tell, tell us about growing up. I was born in 1960, Swedish Hospital, and I grew up for the first eight years of my life in Kirkland. My parents are from Seattle, but they built a house over in Kirkland, so I went to Lakeview Elementary School in Kirkland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then we moved in 1968, I believe, to Magnolia, which we moved into my dad's dad's house because my dad's dad was getting remarried and moving out. So we, my dad and mom bought that house in Magnolia, lived there. Then I went to Briarcliff Elementary, which was right up the street. I went to Blaine Junior High, which was in the village, uh, Magnolia Village. Named after President Blaine. Yeah, and he was a great president. Yeah, I just, I really wish I'd been alive back then. I, <laughs> I wanted to campaign for him. Um, and then I went to uh, Queen Anne High School. And that was uh, 70, I graduated Queen Anne High School in 1978. I can't tell you how many times over the years I bump into people, you know, if I'm, I'm doing an auction or a speaking event or whatever, just in a store and people say hey do you know a nancy guppy and i uh well sure yeah we're on that show together and everybody in town knows you they went well, to school with you or they know you you have the <laughs> widest circle of acquaintances of anybody i've ever met i wonder if that's partly too because i've obviously i live grew up you know grew up here but also i've kind of kept going in the world of tv stuff so maybe that's part of that this was before all of that I oh mean, really yeah, huh. this, was, this is when we were doing this almost live show together. I just, oh, yeah. it, it would happen so much. And I thought, oh, and they always had such a nice, happy look on their face remembering. <laughs> I mean, you were very well liked. Uh, well, that's, that's good to hear. That's I don't hear. understand why, but. They, I, well, they, exactly. They, See, I'm wondering the exact same thing. <laughs> so then you get slid in, slud into mm. this show mm. and through the back door or over the totally Joe. Yep. And then, then then what happened from there? What year well, was that? So the year that I started doing, uh, like I was still working at Nordstrom and Joe was involved in the show. And I guess that would have been 85 or six, I think. Yeah, I think Joe came on in 85. 85. So, okay. Yeah. So on occasion, um, if they wanted a woman, I think Andy Stein might have been working on the show at that point. Yep. But sometimes yep. they wanted a different someone else to do something. So he would say, hey, can you get off? work and uh for a bit that we're going to shoot at the courthouse thursday afternoon right so i would get off work by lying to my boss and say i had a doctor's appointment or something and i'd go to the thing and i'd do the bit and so so that that was fun it was my foray into tv i didn't know about almost live and i didn't know about working on camera and i didn't know about doing sketch comedy you know so did I'm you watch did you watch the show almost live no i had no idea what it was bob yeah. nelson told me the other day that yeah when he started working on Almost Live, he uh, his he told his his wife was not interested in watching Almost Live, and Bob said you should watch this show. This is before Bob was working on it. You should yeah. watch this show, and Bob was intrigued with it, and he finally got on the show. and mm -hmm. And to Bob's telling, he said, "I was on the show about two years," <laughs> and and I and his and his wife Valerie said, "He, where do you go all day?" <laughs> And he said, well, I, I'm on that TV show, Almost Live. You should watch it. And she said, well, who else is on it? Isn't that great? Oh, my God. That's just brilliant. It, yes, it, it really that's is. fantastic. That's fantastic.
And, uh, and so I think that, that, you know, that was the thing with almost live. We were, it was such a fledgling show. Right. Nobody felt uh, like they were the cock of the walk uh, about being on the show. Cause we didn't never felt it early on in those years. Anybody was watching anyway. Right. Which in a, on some level is good because it was given a lot of free yeah. reign to find its, its way and to find its, you know, get grounded. I'm Mr. Manners. And I'm Mrs. Manners. Now our first letter is from Elsie of Packwood, Washington. Elsie writes, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Manners, when is it appropriate to seek marital counseling? Mm. Good question. Mm. Mr. Manners, go ahead. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, that those days are gone, of course, you know, everything has to hit right away. Yeah. But that's... when I when I got on the show, um, it was because I knew you had to write you know, they weren't hiring actors. They were, hi they ha you had to be a writer to be on the staff. And this was the year that- And preferably both, yeah. And preferably, oh yeah, absolutely. And when, when, John, when Ross had left and John took over, that was the year that I, I think that was the year that I got hired as a, right, as a staff member Full of time. the show, yeah. which would have been 87. And you, by the way, you were in the one of the first bits I wrote and you edited it for me was nut in the house. And oh, you did really? such a, yeah, you did such a great job with that. It was, you know, it's an okay idea as most, you know, percentage wise, um, you know, you don't always hit it out of the park, that's for sure. But it was good enough that we got to produce it. And yeah, you cut that for me and you did such a good job. Yeah. Oh man, I, I yeah. forgot about it. I remember the name now that you say it, nut in the house. Nut in the house. And you played my dad and I played a basically a very disturbed young girl. Good morning, Nut. Morning. Good morning, Nut. Don't push me! Well, you you were great at play, playing, I mean this as a compliment, playing crazy characters. Yeah. Because you're, because you're anything but. So how do you, how you, do know, you find that, how do you find that character? I, that is, I, I wish I knew. I, I like to play the fool. I like to play lower status. I like to break the fourth wall. I like to be surprising. I think in life, I like to do that. You know, I like to kind of um, shake things up, hopefully not in an offensive way. I mean, in, a, in an unpleasant way. Um, and so I think with, I just have a natural propensity to be, um, to, to do it something, go, go, go farther than someone might think. Hello? Is your refrigerator running? Yes. Well, you better go catch it. Ah! <sighs> Hello? Do you have Prince Albert and Cam? Ah! Do you have big feet? Wear shoes, nobody will notice. Ah! <laughs> Newsom. He'll drive you buggy. You can get away with it because I think it's because I'm of, small. Of, of your demeanor, you're small. You're mm -hmm. sweet looking. You mm -hmm. just you know, this woman, she, she's no threat. And then when you go there, it, that's where the surprise comes. Well, exactly. And you wrote a bit that I, um, Ralph Bevins pulled it up. I guess it must have been during a recent election last year. Or so it was about, a, I was running for city council with Susan Mondello. And I'm, and you wrote it and I played Susan Mondello. She's a fighter. I think that was yes, the tagline. That's it. I remember, and I was going to ask you about that. Bit. Oh my God. It is the funniest thing. And I'm just basically hitting people, smacking people, throwing people down in my little high heels, my little outfit with my little wig and my little perfect little wig. 
that was, and that's, I think, really encapsulates what you're talking about, the contrast between this, yes. you know, skinny little chick. Yeah, and only, you, only you could. Decking everybody. Only you. I only thought of you to, to be that character. It's a, it's a fake political ad. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the, you know, the, the theme of it is Susan Mondello. She's <laughs> a fighter. And, but you were literally a fighter. You would punch people, punch kick him in the face. Knee him in the groin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On election day, re-elect Susan Mondello to the city council and let her continue to fight for you. Last year, when a big commercial real estate developer tried to skirt city zoning laws, <laughs> Susan Mondello stopped him. When a street paving crew started running behind schedule and over budget, Susan Mondello got them back to work. When other members of the city council proposed raising your taxes, Susan Mondello came out kicking. They got the message. Susan Mondello, she's a fighter. Oh, I, that's one of my favorites, too, because you were so perfect for it. And, you uh, know, and I want to say something too, that there was a point along the way where, and I've always appreciated this, Bill Staten said to me, and he said it very kindly and thoughtfully, but he told me, he said, you know, you're really good at basically crazy and mad. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to kind of think about developing other types of characters. And, and he was right, because those are my go-tos. So I needed to work on the subtler things, the things that didn't have quite such a cartoony you know blowout kind of a, a a quality or characteristic to it so that was really funny and he was well, i it. suppose it was, so but I, I when you got something that's really working uh, don't you know don't walk yeah away. i mean yeah. true and i don't think of course he wasn't saying don't do that but i think he was just saying yeah they'd be good for you to broaden a little bit <laughs> you um a, a, along the way you were already on the show and then tracy conway came on the show full-time yep. Yep. Uh, as another woman. And, and I've heard, you know, there was a fellow that wrote a, a great book a few years ago, Brian Johnston, that, yeah. that wrote about uh, so, uh, that uh, Bill Staten admits he thought maybe I had a misogynistic attitude about this, but I, I assumed that this might not work because uh, I thought these two women would not get along with each other. Mm. Uh, based on some biases that he had about the way women think and behave and that you would be competing with each other and not mm -hmm. like each other. Mm -hmm. And that, that just wasn't true. No. And it, that you're right. So I was in LA, Joe and I were in Los Angeles when Tracy was hired on the show. So when we, I came back and when I got back and when we came back and I got back involved on the show, she was, a, she was an established player. You know, she was very established and rightly so, so good. And so it was an interesting thing for me, Pat, because um, we, we definitely were a great pair and we got along great. I definitely had some jealousy right at first when I got back involved because, hmm. um, because I, you know, and I wanted to be important too. you know, that my ego was probably a little bit soft or a little bit fragile. And so I needed to um, prove myself because she was a proven commodity. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't at that point. I'd only been on Almost Life for whatever it was, one season. And then we moved to LA. So I came back and I had a lot to, I had to really kind of establish myself. And so I, I had to kind of deal with my own internal um, uh, feelings of like, oh, well, I want to be, you know, whatever it is I want to be. 
And then once we started to, you know, I started to gel with the cast and, you know, um, with everyone who most of the people I knew, but she was new to me. Um, we found what such great rhythm together because we're very different looking. Our strengths are different. And writing for her and I, I loved writing stuff for the two of us or just for her. So tell me about what's been going on with you. Oh. You look great. Oh, you really thanks. Yeah, you too. So you were in L.A. for a while, right? <laughs> I was in L.A. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I came back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Wait, you know, that's a hard question. I know, you know? it's like, where do you begin? Yeah, right? it yeah. is, exactly, I know, exactly. I know. Um, okay, what have I been doing? Um, yeah, just stuff, you know, yeah. just the regular stuff. And uh, work and just... Stuff? I've been, I haven't seen your dad, actually. No, no, I... Sing, sing. Sing, sing. Sing, sing. You're seeing, seeing my dad? Frank. <laughs> my dad, Frank? Yeah, yeah. You're seeing, seeing my dad, Frank? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need another one here. <laughs> it was really, really fun. And then we became very close friends and, um, and very complimentary of, of each other. So she was a, um, she was a wonderful partner to yeah, have on the show. I, and I would give Tracy... Uh, a lot of the credit for that. She's just, uh, there's nobody that she mm. doesn't like and, and mm. doesn't like her. She's just that kind of person. Yep. I mean, we all, um, well, I guess I'm talking about me. We all have some simmering resentments about some people or some things that happen. Yeah. Never see a trace of that in, in Tracy. In, in Tracy. She's just, no, I know just, she wishes the best for people. She wants them to do really well. Um, you know, she, you know, we all have our ego, but in a good way, I think there's, you got to have solid, healthy egos and we all did and do. And she, but she also brought, there's a magnanimous quality to her. I yes, would say that's a, a generous quality. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And she certainly extended that, that to me and, um, I'm, you know, forever grateful to me. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got the right person. Let's, um, let's talk about you going to LA. You, mm-hmm. um, you were on the show, uh, almost live with Joe for, some years, and I think it was 1989 mm. to maybe 1992 that you two uh, packed up and moved to Los Angeles to work initially on a show called Not Necessarily the News, which at the time was one of my favorite shows. It was a comedic show. It was like a fake newscast. Not Necessarily the News with Annabelle Gerwich and Tom Parks. Special reports from Meryl Marco, Richard Rosen, and Joe Guppy. Both you and Joe went yeah. to write for that show. Yeah. What was that? So, well, so he and he was first. He, they grabbed him first for as a performer because he had <clears throat> sent his tapes down there when yeah. they were kind of doing some reworking with the cast of that show, and they hired him. And then um, they, for some reason, they they agreed to hire the two of us as a writing team. So now we're a writing team and he's also going to be a performer on the show. I wasn't a performer on that show. And that was the greatest gift ever I could have ever, ever received for a number of reasons. First of all, it got us to, got me to move away from Seattle, the place I lived my entire life. I, this is what I knew. This is where Mm -hmm. I was comfortable. I didn't honestly, Pat, I didn't know how I would do outside of my, my my familiar world right yeah so first of all that then we are hired 
as a writing team. And so I have a job and that's a gigantic thing to go to Los Angeles and have a job that was actually yeah. a writer's guild job. So we were in the, we got in the writer's guild, we got an mm -hmm. agent, all these things that is very, are, can be very difficult to get. And then in that experience of being on off the, um, off the wall players, um, not necessarily the news. And yeah. then we, we did, we did 13 weeks on that and then they didn't pick up our options. So then we had an agent. So we just popped around to a variety of shows over the next couple of years, none of which were particularly good, but what happened for me in those years and all the shows we worked on were right. I was, we were writers for the most part. I learned how to write. That's what yeah. I learned. And I didn't, I didn't know it when I was doing it because we're on these writing staffs and the, the, there's deadlines and it's very intense and it's yeah. your entire life, which to, I would, you know, there's, it got a little kooky sometimes and I got a little kooky sometimes, but when I came back and we can talk about LA, but when, when I came back to Seattle and I got back on the show with almost life, I recognized, Oh my God, I learned you're, how to write sketch. Yeah, you're a fully formed writer. Right, yeah. right, right. And so that was the gift of Los Angeles. And I, I'm, man, I'm so glad that happened. So glad uh, that happened. You, uh, and I talked to Joe about this as well. You wasn't all uh, hearts and roses and pleasant no. memories about LA. Uh, there was some trouble along the way. Oh, sure. Joe and I, um, we split up. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 No. So, um, it, and that's, yeah. Yeah. So let me think, let me say how, how that happened. We, we were down there. Well, the way Joe tells it, it's all your fault. And rightly so. Yeah. Pat, you know me and I'm you know kidding, that I, I'm the, I, no, I'm the, um, I'm no, it, it, it's a combination of things, but what happened is we were down in LA and I actually almost, I don't think I had a, a technically a nervous breakdown. But I really got into a very depressed place. And this was in um, the, the uh, winter of 92. And so I realized. Can you remember we, why? Um, I, you know what? I, I know I, a lot of people who have depression. They don't, can't figure out why. They you know, I think I have. So I think I've dealt with depression, very functional depression. I've never been someone who like, I can't get out of bed. I can't go get out of the house. Nothing like that. Yeah. But I have, I think I've had cyclical depression at different points all my life. And there was, there was a time in, in elementary school when I remember being, why this happened, I don't remember exactly why, but I was taken to the nurse's office. My mother was with me. I think I had written a short story that was probably, there was something disturbing about it. I wish I had it, still I don't. And there was, I was being asked about kind of must have been kind of psychological question or questions are like, is there something wrong? Hmm. And I don't know what happened there, it, but I know that I've always suffered from um, depression at different points in my life. And, and again, I would say it probably would circle around maybe once a year. Let's just say once a year. I, I can't remember if that's exactly true, but it's some, the feeling of depression is not a new feeling to me. Hmm. And so when we were in LA and I, I'd, I'd seen therapists and that kind of thing over the years, I'd never gone on an antidepressant. I found, I thought, Oh no, no, that's, you know what, that's too much or that'll, that's a crutch or whatever it is. That's I what, thought that's what weak people do. Exactly. Yeah. I need to figure, I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. That's what I was taught. Right. Yep. So, so when it hit me in LA and I thought, I, I can't, I can't go through this down here. I can't handle this down here. Cause I, we weren't working at that point. We were between jobs I think, I think with Joe and I being constantly together, working, living together, 
I think that unconsciously at that point was probably too much. So I actually moved back to Seattle in January of 92. We drove up and I stayed with my sister, lived with my sister and her family for like four or five months. And I saw this therapist and I was trying to get my, I was trying to figure out what's going on. So great. I'm glad my, so grateful to my sister for giving me that little refuge. And then at the end of that, like that spring, or in going going into June, that's when Almost Live was going to do the Comedy Central stuff. Oh yeah. And so Keister, uh, I, I don't know if I contacted him or he contacted me, but it was about like, hey, do you want to? Would you want to do some performing, acting during this Comedy Central chunk of shows that we're going to produce this summer? And I told him, I said, well, I don't just want to act. I want to. I would want to write too. I want to be on the staff. And so he was able to work it out so that I was brought on as, as part of the staff. Um, and so I did that with the, with the, you know, all of us doing that 65 shows for Comedy Central, which was amazing. And then I was asked at the end of, the, of that run that summer, going back into the normal season of Almost Live, if I wanted to stay on. And so Joe and I decided, I, you know, we, obviously we had talked and seen each other during this time. And I, we decided, yeah, we'll that's what we're going to do. So what happened is I flew down to LA. We're going to pack up our apartment and going to come back to Seattle and start up again in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So that the weekend I went down to do the packing up the apartment, we went out to dinner, some place we liked in LA and we were spinning out what it's going to look like, you know, and we did this and that. And we went back to our apartment. And as we walked into our apartment in LA, I knew I thought we, it, the word, the phrase was in my mind, Pat, was it's over. And what I meant by that was, I didn't necessarily mean our, our, our marriage is over for good, or I, now it's time to file for divorce. But I, what I knew was what we're talking about doing, picking up as if everything's just going to carry on as normal, mm -hmm. that ain't going to happen. So mm -hmm. we got up into the apartment and I wrestled with myself saying, should I, should I say this? Cause I knew it was a big thing to say, but yeah. I knew I had to. So I just said, you know, we kind of sat down and said, I have to say something. And I said that, and that I, it, it, we, we can't just pick up. It's, it's over. And he had pretty much the exact same thought. And we had this visual that we both had at the same time, which was like this, like a black onyx marble, let's just say like a, you know, and it's one was kind of in my head and one was in his head. And there was a line between the two. And that was that was a connection. And that was true that we were connected. But there was a lot that was surrounding our connection that we had to deal with. And we had to learn how to shed or let go or face or whatever. So we decided, OK, we're going to separate. So I went back, flew up back up to L.A. or back up to Seattle and I moved into an apartment on Queen Anne and he came back up, packed up the place, moved back up here and he moved into his parents' third floor, <laughs> the third floor of his parents' house. Talk about depressing. So that's where he is. And I'm in my groovy apartment on Almost Live um, starting that fall. So we went into this very interesting, you know, eight or nine months of being separated, separated and doing therapy. And then at the end of that, we decided basically, well, we've done all the work we can do. We don't want to get divorced. As Joe said, let's shack up. So we got back together. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. and can you remember any sketches uh, or scripts that you wrote during that time that you were separated ah, that were influenced yeah. by your separation? Ah, that's a good one. Um, 
I mean, or I, it just attitudinally. Attitude, attitudinally, yeah. Um, I did a p. Okay, so I did a bit, and it was this was actually one that I wrote this version of it, but Bob had written the conversations with mom. Oh, script. That. Remember that? I love that so much. So he has this hilarious conversation with his mother. All you hear is his mom and you see him on the phone with her. So I did my version of that. And it was my mom um, being relentlessly positive and happy. And I'm relentlessly negative and everything I'm saying back to her. And she just keeps saying like, oh, because, you know, like, oh, that's not true. And I'm like basically saying, well, I'm super depressed and nobody likes me. And I think I might be a lesbian and all these things. And she's like, oh, that's not possible. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. Hello, Mother. What are you doing? Oh, just plucking hairs out of my chin. You don't have hairs on your chin? Yes, I do. No, you don't. An hour ago, you would have thought I was a man. Oh. What a beautiful day it is today. I wouldn't know, Mom. I still got the blinds down. You don't have the blinds down. Yes, I do. No, you don't. You know, it's like a cave in here. It is not. I think I prefer the darkness. In fact, I'm just going to get all the windows boarded up. Oh. Are you doing something fun with your friends tonight, dear? I don't have any friends, Mom. You have lots of nice friends. No, I don't. Yes, you do. My last friend was Kim, and she moved away in the third grade. She didn't move away. Yes, she did. No, she didn't. Anyway, everyone hates me. Oh. How's that nice boyfriend? I don't have a nice boyfriend. Yes, you do. No, I don't. That one from Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah, the one who dumped me. He didn't dump you. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. You know, maybe I'm a lesbian. You are not a lesbian. Well, I'm attracted to Cindy Crawford. Everyone thinks that she's pretty. Well, maybe you're a lesbian, Mom. Well, I have to go, honey. I have lots of errands to run. It's good to stay busy. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Talk to you tomorrow, Mom. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, relational kind of Yeah, comedy. yeah. I, so, I think I can. I could have seen that. Uh, I, yeah. I didn't really know where you and Joe stood uh, during that time. Mm. Uh, Did you know that? But you knew something must have been going on, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. But was there ever a thought uh, that, uh, Joe should also come back to almost live, or was that, that uh, was, was that part of the deal that no, I you go do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. I think luckily he a wasn't interested in that anymore. He felt like he'd done sketch. Mm -hmm. Second of all, I definitely needed to be on my own. We never yeah. discussed it like that, but I needed to be on, on my own there and kind of be my own person. And there wasn't also room on the show for another white guy you know what i mean so i think that that combination made it it was never um it was never an issue and i'm really glad about that because that could have been really that could have been super difficult well i think joe uh, successfully sublimated his ego because like like you say i mean when once you get a taste of that it it's an intoxicant and yes. you want you like being recognized on the street it's fun yep. you get to be you make people laugh and yep. it, it's um it's heady and yeah it it, it really it's it is very heady it's very um it's very yeah it's very exciting and i think with almost live i don't know if there was another show that certainly from my from my perspective 
that I could have bloomed in the way that that show allowed me to do. There was mm -hmm. so much latitude yeah. that we were allowed to find our, you know, to, to write what we wanted to write, fight hard for, for stuff, sometimes winning the fight to get something produced and then it wasn't yeah. funny. And then you kind of go, Oh, I guess it wasn't as funny as I thought it was, but then often things were great and you felt great yeah. about that. So yeah, it was, um, it was the, an amazing, amazing, amazing job. Good evening. Studies of studies are more likely to find findings than the studies themselves, a study found today. When several completed studies are gathered together to form a larger subsequent study, the significance of the further findings is increased significantly. Furthermore, studies that find findings are far superior to studies that fail to find findings, the study found, primarily because of funding. Quote, a study that finds findings is 55% more likely to bring further funding than a study that fails to find findings, the study found. This has been a special report. And now we turn you to our when you came to that job after going through the crucible of working in L.A., yeah. it, it must have felt like, oh my God, this is this isn't even work. This is fun, <laughs> and no, the pressure's off, and I can really just think about writing scripts and, and yeah, uh, going I think, to lunch and all of this. Yeah, exactly. The almost live lunch. Um, I think. You know, it was a different kind of, I mean, certainly the pressure, the stakes, the stakes, it's not that the stakes were lower, it's just that they're different. Yeah. And, um, and I think though, I, we do, I remember distinctly the first pitch meeting, the pitch material, once I was back and this was the first time, uh, the first pitch meeting for the uh, Comedy Central shows that we were going to be doing in that summer of 92. Mm -hmm. And I had never pitched by myself. I'd always been with Joe or in L.A. We just work, you know, we we're working on script shows, scripted shows, not sketch shows necessarily. So I remember I, I remember like probably a couple of days before the pitch meeting, the almost live one, I was in a panic and I thought, I, oh, my God, I, 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 I can't do I can't do this. I remember so well. And I remember thinking to myself, Pat, we were at lunch one day, I think in the lunchroom at King. Let's just say the pitch meeting was on a Thursday. This would have been a Tuesday. I remember desperately wanting to say to John, and maybe you were there, Tracy, or whoever was at the table, I wanted to say, I wanted to tell how panicked I was. I wanted to share my, my insecurity. And something in me said, don't do it. Don't say it. Don't do it. No, don't put this on them right now. Hold on. Call Joe later, let him know that you're freaking out, and which I did, and he kind of talked me down, and then I was able to, you know, kind of focus and write a few bits, and then went to the pitch meeting a couple of days later, pitched stuff, and a, a few things, um, you know, went well and were greenlit. But it was the greatest um, uh, lesson to me of don't burden people with your own insecurity because they've got theirs they've got theirs and now they're gonna have to think about you and you haven't proven yourself yet here yeah. and they're, they're thinking like oh god did we make a mistake and then you're gonna so it was just like it's like contain yourself contain yourself you know and i've never forgotten that that was such a great uh, a little lesson that thank god i was able to listen to that little tiny voice inside my head that's great. Said, you know, don't open your mouth. That is great. I, I'm like you. I those pitch meetings were just excruciating Ugh. for me. Oh my god! I tried to come as late as I could. I just, <laughs> it's I just, painful because uh, you you want things to go over well, and and some people are better at pitching than others, and some material is going to be yeah. better. You know, it's just yeah, you're you're you know your ego's on your line on the line to a degree. There's a lot going on there. And, and but, I don't think uh, that I was arrogant, but I do feel like I look. I know this is going to be a good bit. It'll yes. work. 
because I'm going to do it and I'm going to yeah. edit it and it will work. Yeah. And I don't feel, and I just resented that I have to pitch it. Right, right, That's right. Stupid. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I have to say, Pat, I know you're going to poo poo this, but um, that was pretty much true for you. Um, you, you were um, arrogant. No, I'm kidding. Um, you were, uh, your stuff uh, was, was, was consistently funny and good. And if you did it and if you, you, it was going to work. That was, that was pretty much Pat Cashman there, there, you were in your class by yourself. It's really, it's very true. And I'm not blowing smoke. I'm telling, this is a fact. That's not fake news. That's real news. Well, if you consider me arrogant, then I shall never speak to you again, Nancy Guppy. <laughs> arrogant in a good way. Here's a bit I, I forgot to ask Joe Guppy about, and but you were in it too. Mm. And it was the stupidest bit. I, I can't remember whose idea it was. I think it might have been Joe's, but mm. uh, it was the staring contest, uh, staring <gasps> bit. Do you remember that? Oh. oh, yes. Oh, I see. I can see you in that. And you, it was you and Joe in the staring contest. Yeah. and. I remember what I remember a lot of lines of yours from different bits of yours. I can speak. I can directly um, say lines that you wrote and, and performed. This one, you said something like, "I'm very impressive," and I think it. <laughs> yes. I think it was. I think they, basically Joe and I had probably just had sex because that was. Yeah, yeah. Was, no, the, and, the bit was that, that Joe and I decide arbitrarily we're going to do a staring contest. <laughs> yes. And we, and we carry it on, and it goes on apparently for days, weeks, months, and maybe even years. <laughs> right. And you and Joe get, get married, and you're wearing a, you know, your wedding dress, and Joe's in a tuxedo. And then we widen the camera out, and you see that Joe is not looking at you; he's looking at me because we're right. still doing the staring contest. Yeah. And then, and then it's your honeymoon night, and you and Joe are in the sack together, yep. and. Uh, and Smoking say, afterwards, right? We're having you, a cigarette. Yeah, and you say, "Oh, Joe, you are great." And then, and then I say, because I'm staring at Joe, very impressive, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest bit. Oh, it's so good, but it, that one sticks with me. There's, oh my God, Pat, there are so many lines of yours. Oh, Joe and I say your stuff all the time. The plumber stuff. You have a yeah. plumber. That, that was I the first. Memorized. I think that was the first shoot we all three did together this is starring rock debris as jt plumber and arnold flambeau as billy piper tonight's episode plunge into fear (laughs) and uh and and i mentioned this to joe uh in my conversation with him but there's one there's one a scene that we did that we decided somebody decided that we w- we shouldn't use and you say uh the plumber i couldn't help noticing your cock yeah and and, and i say oh no ma'am that's actually an adhesive uh that we use to seal uh, cracks in bathtubs it <laughs> It's such it would be such a slam dunk to use it today, but it shows you we still had this kind of a self-imposed kind of censorship. Oh we, my God, I remember that, but we didn't use that, right? No. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong. When you did the oh. wonderful bit, which I think is your signature bit, called "Capable." This looks like a job for. Keep them all women! 
adventures of Capable Woman, a new superhero who isn't new exactly. It's just she's finally broken through the male-dominated superhero power structure and is just now getting the recognition that is so rightly hers. Capable Woman! That was just a killer bit. You were this superhero woman that uh, the premise was that men just, if you give men an opportunity to do something, they're going to fuck it up every time. And so you're, was you're a capable woman that will come and she saves the day, mm-hmm. makes men still maintain their dignity and their sense of self because you show them how to do something. But at the beginning of that bit, yes. you, oh, at the end of the bit, <laughs> you say, I might not have big tits, but I, so, so the, yeah. but the word tits got on the air. Yeah. I can't think of an exception to that on Almost Live. Wonder Woman may have big tits, but she doesn't know jack about the chromatic scale. Right, like, Wonder, Wonder Woman may have big tits, but she doesn't know jack about and that whatever it was that I had just done, right? Yes. Yeah, you can't even really consider that a curse yeah, word. I, I, don't mean, know how, I don't know how. It's too friendly sounding. Well, yeah. well, maybe that's part of it. But I think then, it's, it's, I think. It's really no no worse than boobs and people say that all the time tits is a it's such a slangy word um yeah I, uh, but you remind me when that i now that i mentioned that you did one of the most daring and hilarious uh, bits that uh is a standout for me you did a woman on the street thing and you somebody helped you rig up uh balloons underneath your blouse and that you could control. And so you could make it, it would appear that your breasts got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you would, then you would, you would stop men on the street. I don't think you stopped a woman, but it would always. I did. I, t- I stopped both men and women. Oh, you did. Okay. So you would yes. ask them, which do you like better? This, which you were yeah. normal. And then, mm-hmm. and then you would inflate these breasts. So yeah. they'd go out to be like 36s, 38s. <laughs> right. And you say, or this. <laughs> And which yeah. do you prefer? <laughs> and, and men would always go, oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Bigger. Yeah. Got to yeah, go bigger. 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 Yeah. Go bigger. What do you think looks better on me? Just like this or like that? <laughs> this, just the way I am, or that? Or what? Like that, definitely. Really? Okay. That's Dig good. It. Right there. Dig it. Higher. Do we feel it, actually? Where are you from? Like this? The way I look like this? Or... Look at her boobs. That looks really good. This or... That. So, later on, you're doing what? After the interview, you're doing what? Ah, hanging out with you. You can go a little more than that, can't you? No, I like little. Okay. Before, definitely. Before. Is this like for a psychological study? No. <laughs> I liked you before. You did? Yeah, a little bit bigger. Fire. Down on the left. You gotta go bigger. <laughs> so you yeah. already you'd already contrived an ending for the bit where yeah. you would just keep going and going and going, assuming that they were gonna burst and that would be the yes. end of the bit. Yes. And to tell of everybody. What happened. And they they didn't. So it's like well, I stop a guy, and it was Hans Eric, our in our uh, whatever he was a producer at that time. So what do you, sir? What do you think looks better, this or this? And I start inflating them, and you know they inflate pretty quick, and it's going and going, and it 
then I'm, I'm waiting for it to pop and they're not. And I'm looking, more, I'm looking really, my face is contorting because I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to yeah, hurt you're, so you're, much. You're, you're wincing because you and know that you don't want totally, And then it. it's ripping, it's ripping whatever bra or shirt that I had underneath kind of had, you know, kind of um, had this stuff attached to and that's ripping and it never stopped. <laughs> going <laughs> so finally we just had to fade out i think i said anytime you can yeah. tell me to stop oh god and, was... oh that was a fun one and and you know that bit was and that was your idea right that was my idea and the reason i came up with that idea is that that was that's been always been an insecurity of mine as a as a woman like i always wanted bigger breasts and so my way of dealing with my insecurity like i'm sure when i was younger i was you know, been teased like, oh, you're flat chested, which, you know, no girl likes that. So this was my way of handling oh. that insecurity. I thought, okay, I, not only am I going to draw attention to it, I'm going to, I'm going to literally blow it up. I'm going to put it out there for all the world to see. So it kind of undercut that kind of, because there's, it's an emotionally, it was, it was painful for me growing up. You know what I mean? I wanted yeah. to. No, that's more, why it, that's yeah. why it's such a perfect and, and brilliant and, uh, uh statement a bit mm. about the mm. way men are and uh you know men and women it's just really that that bit is one of my all-time favorites oh thanks that was fun to do you and it was you know man on the street and man on the street you know how that is you have a you have a level of energy for man on the street pieces and then it's like you got to stop because you're stopping people it's you never know what they're going to say it's, right. it takes a tremendous amount of energy to do that and and ralph yeah. bevins cut that perfectly yeah you, and you have an expectation of how you wanted it to go. And then, so you're, yeah. you're a little worried, like, what if, no, what if this doesn't work? Nobody says, no, totally. no, what are you doing? Yeah. I, I don't want Right, right. Oh, exactly. And you're going to get some of that. People are going to shine you on, you know, so you have to just kind of soldier through it. So uh, you, you nailed yeah. it. It was really good. It was fun to do. And you did a lot of, like I said, you did, a, you wrote a lot of uh, uh, female oriented mm. sketches with mm -hmm. you and then Tracy mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and that was really essential for the show. Obviously, mm. what was also essential and would be paramount today would be that there would be far more diversity on the show. Oh, my it was, God. It was yes. basically a bunch of white people. And then somebody finally figured out, well, we got it. We got to at least, uh, get, you know, get an Asian person on. We got to get yeah. some black people on. Yeah. But they were never full time mm -mm. parts of the show. And, um, uh, if there's an embarrassment about it, it, I guess it would be that, but uh, yeah. it, it was, you know, it was what it was at the time that it was, uh, yep. but we made yep. those, those efforts in the latter years of the show. Yeah, we did. And I, and I don't know if it was at that, like later in the year, in the latter years, if we would have, if, if one of us would have needed to leave to bring somebody on, you know, that's possible. So in terms of like the budgetary piece, yeah. but regardless yeah. of the reasons it is, that is a um, a, a weakness yeah. to put no it question. mildly. Yeah. No, no question about it. Yeah. 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 Um, so you did, and, and you did. Uh, one of the things that people talk about a lot is you and Tracy would do these bits um, uh, about women in Linwood, and that, why no. Linwood was picked out, I don't know, but it, <laughs> it's still. I feel like Linwood is still how we portrayed it then. I still feel that way about Linwood. Yeah, a lot of places aren't. Kent, no. Ballard, they're all different, but Linwood, Linwood. still big hair <laughs> and a lot of makeup. Yeah, exactly. Blue eyeshadow. Are you tired of the same old hair, the same old look? 
the same old you. What you need is a visit to the Linwood Beauty Academy. At the Linwood Beauty Academy, you'll learn all the secrets of those fabulous women you've always admired. And don't forget our famous perfume super pump. Choose from enticing aromas that have driven Linwood men crazy for years, like musk, strawberry, and slightly damp sheepskin seat cover. Thank you. I feel as beautiful as those girls in the Whitesnake videos. Learn the head-turning secrets of the beautiful women of a nondescript suburb right here at the Linwood Beauty Academy. Thank you for spending uh, this time, Nancy, with me. Before we go, super fun. I got to tell you something personal that has yeah. bug bugged me forever. Yeah. And uh, and I'm glad to get this off my chest. Um, I uh, back in those days, I was a uh, serious jogger, runner for Ooh. health for health purposes. Uh, you know, I have heart disease in my family and I thought I, I, and, and a lot of my family got really overweight and big and this. So early on, I decided I gotta, I gotta exercise every day. I gotta stay slim mm -hmm. as slim as possible. And so I would run and I ran a lot. I'd run seven miles a day, 49, 50 miles a week, uh, just for myself. And I, and I thought, yeah, I'm not, I'm not bad when I'd be out on the running trail, I would see somebody coming up behind me and I would. That would motivate me to, I'm not going to let them pass me, no matter what. They're not going to pass me. And I just kill myself. Just, and, and it's, it's just me by myself. I never ran with anybody else. Yeah. Except one day uh, during a break in Almost Live, we were, it was a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And my usual routine was that I would run from King, which was located on Dexter Avenue. And I'd run up and over the hill and I'd go, over towards uh, uh, Fremont. I'd go, you know, I'd, that'd be my run. I'd turn around and come back. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day, I can't remember why, but you said, hey, uh, I'm going to run. Let's run together. Let's go together. And I, uh, uh, well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, guess, I guess that'd be okay. And, uh, and, and all I remember is that you so supremely and effortlessly smoked me you're kidding. That day. You were just, God, you were running. And I, and I'm one, I got to stop. I'm, I'm gassed here. And you just kept going and going. And I thought, I can't quit. No, I got to stay. And I just couldn't do it. And I finally just had to stop as you went. I don't on. remember. I don't remember that. I, I remember running. You wouldn't you. I remember. I do not remember you stopping. I do not remember you showing I, any sign. I think of, I did. I think <laughs> I did. I just couldn't. I thought I'm either going to have a heart attack or I'm going to have to stop. And, uh, mm. and so I just felt, uh, you gave me a lesson in what, uh, being really in shape is all about. <laughs> well, I'm glad I was able to teach you something. I think, you got, I I think you got 10 years on me. So there was that. <laughs> I, and there was that. There was yeah, that. But, how uh, old I'm, I'm, how old are you? I'm going to be 60 in June, the end of this month. Well, I said you have 10 years on <laughs> me. So you figure it out. You're not 70. No, no, I'm no. not yet. Not uh, yet. Check no. in with me uh, in a few months. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. And I will be at Widow of the Woods Nursing Home. Uh, <laughs> hey, but seriously, thank you. This has been great. Uh, oh, I, I so fun, this, Pat. I think this will be fun. I just thought maybe something that uh, almost live fans, mm -hmm. and they are legion, believe it or mm -hmm. not, 
Uh, mm-hmm. they, no, they are. Yeah. Like this. I say and you've uh, been so candid, and well, I love well, that. Before you go, I'm gonna. I have to do. Um, I have to do my um, the plumber thing. Okay. Okay. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Billy. Wait a minute. Wait. I know what you're feeling, Billy. I know what you're feeling. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yes, I do, Billy. Yes, I do, Billy. Now you can stay out here and you can <laughs> whine and you can cry and you can blubber like a baby. You can stay out here and you can whine and you can cry and you can blubber like a baby. Okay. Okay. Or <laughs> get back in there and unclog that sink. You can get in there and help me unclog that sink. What's it gonna be, Billy? What's it gonna be, Billy? Well, can't I just stay out here for this? one job what can i just stay out here for this one job oh this one job yeah yeah you can stay out here for this job and then what's it gonna be next time billy piper and then what's it gonna be next time billy piper a leaking faucet or a broken washer some leaky faucet or, or a broken washer or some crumbling caulking around the tub or maybe some crumbling caulking around the tub what's it gonna be billy what's it gonna be billy you want me you know where i'm oh, at you wanna help me you know where i'm at I know, see? Oh, I have that's so funny. That, it was of another time. time and mm, It was. Uh, but it was, yeah. we were so lucky to get to yeah. do it. So lucky. So lucky. Yeah. Uh, okay, my friend. Well, this was lovely. Thank you so much, Pat. Okay, Nance. Thank you. And thank yeah. Joe again for me. And, uh, I sure will. We'll talk again. All right, sweets. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. You too, Nance. The Almost Live, Still Alive podcast. Produced and edited by Morris Patrick Cashman. Technical director is Dave Tavers. Special gratitude to the legendary Kenneth George Buford McCaw, Almost Live's chief archivist. And thanks also to King TV Seattle. This program was made possible in part by the 12th century nun and mystic Hildegard von Bingen, inventor of spoken language. And by Emil Berliner, creator of the microphone. And I'm your announcer, that kid from Sluggy, Chris Cashman.